to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, Epiphany. So, uh, first of all, uh, my queen, and I want you to see my queen. Yeah, if you could put that up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 32 years, you all. Yeah. See, some of you brothers, I also have noticed some couples, they have what I call that gift of God testimony. That the only way a brother like him could pull a good-looking sister like her, it's got to be God, you know? You know, uh, my wife often asks me, you know, do I get nervous? And I typically don't, but I am nervous here. And the reason why I'm nervous here is not because of you all, but it's because of what God is doing in and through you all. I'll be honest, I have a level of anxiety because of the power and beauty of what I have experienced these last few days, but even here this morning. And your pastor and his wife. Man, I I pray y'all are loving them madly. I pray y'all are treating them with grace and mercy that that they will know that heaven and earth have collided because of the way God's people have been loving and engaging as well in who you are as a church. So this morning, you know, but there is something else that I I just want to talk about as well. And and really even, it's on my mind, pastor prepared me that 11 o'clock service is pretty hype. So I say I would be very direct with you, even in, as I begin in these opening comments. So, so one of the things that I have been thinking about is what my instructor sort of told me 41 years ago. He said, 41 years ago, if you do this, so... That was, that was 41 years ago. My instructor said, what you do now, as painful as it might be, as much as it might stretch you, will last into the future. So at 58 years old, what I did at 17, see this is why I can't roll with the black Hebrew Israelites because I know something to come out of me and I'll go back to my days uh, uh, again. So I know I got to be careful because I have a shirt. See, and this is as well too. Don't let the package fool you. Don't, don't misinterpret from what you see on the outside. But the same is true with you, Epiphany. Who you really are is just beginning. 
And what God wants to do in your life, he's going to stretch you. And hopefully and prayerfully, he's stretching you now. I pray. And, and, and see, your challenge is because you've got such a level of excellence. You've got some of the most incredible teachers of men and women that I have ever experienced. But that just isn't for you. That's so you'll be stretched for a global reality for the future. So my prayer is that you, again, would engage the discipline of what it means to be the body of Christ so that 40-some years from now, you will still be engaging in a way that demonstrates the power of what God has been doing in your life in this moment. If you have your copy of God's Word, will you come with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, familiar story, beginning with verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the women had taken the two men and hidden them. And, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And went. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof, and she hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. And so the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. There is a, a person who is an athlete that I think will mark our times for history, who I think she's one of the greatest athletes that there has ever been and ever will be. And when she takes the court, whether you play tennis or not, when you see her in motion, it is more than what your mind can even conceive. And when Serena Williams gets on the court, she brings a level of beauty and excellence, and, and it is unfortunate that even the world today doesn't have space for the athletic genius and hard work. What they don't know is Serena, her body is not just defined simply because of who she is. Unfortunately, that narrative still goes on with our bodies, but she had a father who trained her in Venus from the very beginning, because what you do when you're young, it stays with you for the rest of your life. But Serena said these words, I don't like to lose at anything. Yet I've grown most, not from the victories, but the setbacks. If winning is God's reward, then losing is how he teaches us. This idea is found, I believe, in Scripture. It's an idea that I want to talk about this morning. 
Because one of the things that Serena has shown us, even through the beautiful birth of a baby and engaging in a marriage, what Serena has shown us, even as she has come back, even in her work and in her labor, she has shown us something that really is one of the fundamental reasons. It's the value exchange as to why we gather together on Sunday morning. And it's this idea that we believe when we come together as God's people. It is never too late. It is one of the things that makes us different. Because all too often we come into spaces and places where we think, well, it's too late. No, it is never too late. That is one of the major themes of Scripture is that it is never too late. When we come to this text, this is a familiar text when Dr. Mason was talking about impact. Because this is a text where probably one of the things that I did, I went against my wife's wishes. Because sometimes as communicators, when you're engaging an audience with a text, we call it in the traditional black church to tag the text. It's simply, what is the idea of this text? And normally, the tags are something that will cause you to pay attention. It's almost like the previews of a movie. So when I first taught this text, I tagged it with this. What happens when a hoe becomes holy? Now, my wife did not want me to go with that title. I went with it anyway. She was right. One of the reasons why she was right is because just about 10 years ago, I married a couple in our church, and this was a couple. This was our brothers and sisters of the lighter hue, and their marriage is going to be held on this farm because their father was a wealthy person in a rural area, not far. So here I am. They asked me to do the wedding, and so I am one of the few men of color in the whole place in my family, and so it was an interesting time, say the least, but as I was, and again, my, my my previous life, I was a speaker. They did a lot of speaking for Campus Crusade for Christ all over the country. And so uh, I, I roll up there, and there's the grandmother and aunties and others on the steps. And I walk up, and as I walk up, somebody said, James White. I said, uh-oh. Oh, and this was this young uh, fraternity-looking <laughs> gentleman who was clean-cut, preppied out. And uh, I said, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, Oh, you are one of my favorite speakers. Oh, I am so glad. We, we used to listen to one of your messages on campus, and oh, it was incredible. I said, oh, okay. Not thinking, because surely, uh, again, this was probably when I did something at Auburn or when I did something, you know, at another campus. And he said, oh, I said, I said well, what talk was it? And in front of everybody, he said, oh, it was that talk. By Rahab, I said, Lord, please don't let him say the title, please. Don't say the title. And he said it, and everything. What happens when a hoe becomes holy? Grandma looked at me, other people looked at me and go, oh my goodness. So by the end of this message, there's some other reasons why I shouldn't have used that title that we will see when we walk through this text. Here in chapter 2, Israel is at a place where they are becoming and doing and engaging what God had said they would do, even though it has taken now wandering for 40 years. Joshua is now is getting ready to lead Israel, and they're going to, again, possess and inherit the land that God had said. And even what God had said was hard because the land was the land of some of their enemies, the Canaanites. 
And now they're going to a place called Jericho. Now Jericho was not a large place. It was really a small city. It was only 40,000 square meters. And it had a stone wall, which was about 11.8 feet high. And then again, it was about five, six feet wide at the base. So the Canaanite city, Jericho, was not a big place. But first of all, what I want you to notice here in this text is I want you to see a person who you would think is too late, but it's really not. Look at the main character here in this story. The Bible says, and they went in verse 1 of chapter 2, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. It's interesting when you listen and you read commentaries because sometimes commentaries will sometimes want to clean things up, especially older commentaries. It was fascinating that you had some commentaries that would suggest that, well, she probably just ran something like a hotel. She was an innkeeper. Some even suggest that if she, it was her house, then possibly it was a brothel that she ran, and maybe she was a madam in the brothel. Well, I'm sorry, when you read your whole Bible in context, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Rahab the harlot. Also, the author of Hebrews, when she's in, she does make it to the Hall of Fame of Faith, but what do they call her? Rahab the harlot. So the consistency of Scripture was Rahab was a, was, was a prostitute. She is scandalous. Sometimes we treat the Bible the way sometimes even commentators, because we have a hard time with the reality and the scandal that is found in the text. And much more because of who we are, we have a hard time with engaging our own scandal. The text is not written in fantasy, it's written in reality. So if Rahab is a prostitute... The scriptures doesn't give us the details of her journey, but we do know that if you're a prostitute, she has sold her body, and we know that there's a soulless reality that she probably lives with. Every time in her house she engages in this act, you know, there's a bit of her that's lost. One of the questions that you'd want to ask is, how did she end up in this profession? You don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how she ended up in this profession. May we not be judgmental of Rahab because some of us are in places we don't know how we got here. Stephen Farrar says it this way, sin will always take you further than you ever thought you would go, and you'll end up someplace you never thought you would be. And some of us this morning, if I was to add to what Stephen Farrar says, some of us this morning, even now, you're in a place as that you never thought you would stay here so long. Rahab is a prostitute. We also know when you read later in Joshua, Joshua chapter 2 verse 15, that she has a house that is strategically located, especially for a prostitute. It's in the wall. You say, how is that strategically located? Because that means her customers can come in, not even engage the city, and then go out. So it is strategically located for her to be an entrepreneur par excellence. She's also in Jericho, so we know that if she's in Jericho, she's in the place where the, it is scheduled for judgment. 
And we know from other extra-biblical sources and reading that Rahab as well was part of that community and Canaanites were some wicked people who had all sorts of ideas about God. But here's what I find interesting about Rahab. Even though she is defined again by her loss, even though she looks like this and how could she be in the Bible, isn't it interesting that where she is is what God's going to use for deliverance? Not only is God going to use that for deliverance, but he uses the place and the person in light of her story. God can take it and use it in a redemptive way. Some of us are ashamed of our story and ashamed of where we are, but that's the God that I serve. He takes where you are, no matter how dirty, how deep, how dark it might be, but he says, I can use who you really are to come about my purposes. That's why it is sad when some of us are ashamed of our story. There's some divorce people in here that God wants to use you to do some mentoring of some couples and mentoring some single folk so that they will understand that marriage is more than just another person. It's a covenant reality. And let me tell you, some of you divorced people can remove the fantasy island that we live on when it comes to relationships. There are some people going through economic problems right now, but you are still praising God. You are still, you, God can use even the thing that got you in your economic problems to be ministered to someone else so that you can give them the real reality. And some of us have been successful on the outside, miserable on the inside. Your dreams were not deferred, as Langston Hughes suggests. You got your dreams, but you got them without a biblical worldview, without the spirit and power of God. And so now you can become a teacher to say that dreams may need to be deferred if God is in the midst of those dreams. The scriptures press us, though, with this fundamental truth. It is not too late. Rahab is a strategic woman, though. She's a brilliant woman. Because when you look in verse 2, the king had taught, the king of Jericho said, Behold, there are men of Israel who've come here tonight to search out the land. And the king knew that some men had come to her house. And she said, he said, Bring out the men who've come to you, who've entered your house. And then she, for they have come to search out the land. The woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I don't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly for they, you will overtake them. Now, here's, first of all, she's saying they're here and they're gone. Rahab is a smart sister, but she's a lying sister as well. <laughs> Maybe, though, coming to the house of a prostitute is a strategic thing because prostitutes know how to hide men. So she lies. That's a tension in the scripture that's not resolved. She's a prostitute and a liar. That makes me uncomfortable on one hand, but then that gives me joy on the other hand. Because if God can use a prostitute and a liar, he can use me. Here's where you also got to make sure you use the right principles of biblical interpretation because all too often we want to take narratives and make them normative. Normative. 
And that has caused enough problems in our culture today because even currently we've taken narratives of broken rulers and say somehow they should still be able to rule our nation. And you got to be very careful when people take the text and do things like, well, David was king and he committed adultery, so therefore it doesn't disqualify you from leadership. You do not want to take a narrative and make it normative because you'll get a leader ruling the most powerful nation who comes from places you wouldn't understand. And believers will even justify that. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, you'll figure it out. (laughs) The point of this text and the point of this here is this, you all. God works in a real story. He doesn't need a fairy tale. That's why it's tragic when you think you got to clean your life up before God can use you. That's why it's tragic because let me tell you the danger of a church like Epiphany, the danger of a church like Epiphany is it can raise your hypocrisy level because you know you're being led by godly biblical people. You know you've got people who are technically excellent when it comes to psychology and psychiatry. So you got to put on the front in order to come here because you know you will be peeped out. But God wants to use your real story. Because he works in the messiness of life because it's about formation and not about formula. But she has a difficult decision that she has to make. So she indeed brings them up to the roof and she hides them. Now here's the thing that's interesting is the conversation she has. She's got this difficult decision. Listen to how she processes this decision. In verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Then verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried the water up of the Red Sea before you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og whom you devoted to destruction and as soon as we heard it our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Rahab has already made a decision as she's spilling this out. She's saying, look, she's made a confession. We know that the God you serve is the God of heaven and earth. He is one God, one Lord, and what he does in heaven rules earth as well. But how did she know is what should challenge us this morning because here's what she's doing. She's responding to what she knows and what she knows is something, are y'all ready for this, that happened 40 years ago. Rahab is saying, the story of how powerful God has worked 40 years ago is what's moved my decision right now. Now, we as biblical people, as gospel people, we know that's true because the story of what happened 2,000 years ago plus is what's moved us to praise and worship him right now. But what she understands is this, you all. She understands God's story and history moves me today. Can I just tell y'all something? I love Philly. Philadelphia was the place where when growing up, I have three, four aunts that lived in Philly, only one here now. And again, so when I first used to come here, the first family vacation we took was to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. 
Now, for those of you who know my age, you understand that there's a generation of us that the only vacation we took was the vacation to visit family members because we couldn't stay in hotels. We, we had a green book reality. I thought my dad was a beast of a traveler. I thought he was mean because coming all the way from Barco, North Carolina to Philadelphia, we only stopped three places. We could stop at the Stuckies when you get across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Then we went all the way on 13 from the Stuckies, and we stopped in Wilmington, Delaware at the Geno's, which I thought was pizza, but it was the Kentucky Fried Chicken place. Y'all flipped that thing on me. And then from there, we got gas in New Chester, and then we came all the way here to Philadelphia. Why did we only stop three places? Because of a Green Book reality. And if you don't know what the Green Book is, Google it. You'll find out. Because my daddy was born in 1923, so there were only certain places he could stop because he had fear in traveling. Well, you all, every time, like this weekend, I love the conference, Frequency and Thrive, but I always have a moment of celebration whenever I walk my butt in anybody's hotel. You all, I'm in the Marriott downtown, and I'm able to sleep comfortably, you all. Can I tell you why? Because I remember historically that there's a time when I couldn't be in the Marriott Hotel. Listen, there are places in Philadelphia we couldn't go to in a time period, but now because God has been faithful. I'm up in the Marriott, you all. Can I suggest to you this morning, you better remember what God has done 40 years ago. Our history is an apologetic for how good God has been. That's why black history is American history, because it shows us the apologetic and power of God. Because it was only a few years ago, you couldn't be in certain neighborhoods according to legally. And for those of you who are married in interracial marriages, you better know no loving versus Virginia because the Supreme Court said you couldn't even love the person who you really wanted to be in love with. But because of what God has done, God has been good. Rahab says, we know the story of our history, you all. Therefore, I know that your God is the God of heaven and earth. So this morning, the scriptures show us that Rahab is willing to risk everything based on the story of God and what she knows. But now there's also, she's ready for deliverance. Rahab hooks up, she says, great, let's do it, you all. We're trusting in you. So here's what she tries to say. She says in verse 12, now then, because of who he is, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord give us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab, you all, it's not too late, but she's determined in her deliverance. Here's what she's saying. We're willing, even though everybody else, this whole community, y'all going to take out, but we're willing to come with you. She makes a decision to change her position and who she is. She makes a decision that, listen, even though I'm Canaanite and we beef with Hebrew people, I'm trusting in you, not because you're Hebrew, but because of who your God is and what have you. So Rahab, 
But notice here, you know she's serious because it's interesting because when you really meet God, not only does she want to be saved, but she wants her whole family to experience salvation. Rahab is pleading for deliverance of someone else. And so here's what they say we're going to do. Here's what it's going to look like. Verse 15, then she, then she let them down by a rope through the window. She's risky, you all. This girl is risky. So she's letting them down by a rope through the window. What if someone sees them? And for her house was built into the city wall, and she lived in that wall, and she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. Can I just pause here for a moment? That's why I don't care if you're in leadership. Here she is. Rahab is bad, you all. Rahab is telling these CIA operatives how they need to do. Isn't it amazing how they, she's giving them strategy? See, when you're doing things God's way, God's people have a level of strength that you can't measure in one particular framework. So she's giving them strategy. And look at what the men say. The men say this. The men says, okay, behold, verse 18, we will come into the land and you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house, your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if the hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, if you got a big mouth, then we shall be guiltless with respect to the oath that you swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Can I just say something to you about my girl Rahab? Rahab is responding immediately to what they say. They, they say, look, it seems strange. A long scarlet, a long scarlet rope, a red rope, a noticeable rope is now hanging out her window. Don't you know there's some risk? Because when people walk by, I go, what in the world is that red rope hanging out her window? I don't know if Rahab kept lying or not, but they said, look, your deliverance is going to come when you're not afraid because your deliverance is going to come by what what delivered us that yes the thing that brought about judgment for the thing that, that we're coming to judge you but our freedom and your freedom is tied up together we want you to trust in the thing that really we're coming to bring judgment to bring death but we want you to trust in the scarlet cord well that's nothing unique when you think about the details of the deliverance because that idea of scarlet cord is all throughout scripture Wim Evans says this that whenever you open the Bible, it bleeds. It bleeds because this idea of a scarlet cord is all throughout the scriptures. When I was a little boy growing up in church, I thought God was messy and that God was cruel because the church people wouldn't start shouting to somebody say, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. Save me. And I, it, it ain't Sally. Woo! Thinking I'm going, it's just a song, blood. Why did I get so excited about blood? But then when I read my Bible, I understand now why they get excited about blood. When you go in Genesis chapter 3 and you see that Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves ineffectively because they have sinned and they are naked and now ashamed. But at the end of chapter 3, God has to do something to solve their problem. It says that he covered them with animal skins. How do you cover with animal skins? 
skins unless you have to kill an animal. And so Adam sees a murder of an animal in front of him, and he sees blood shed in order to cover him. So it is God who kills in order to cover. Oh, there's a scarlet thread that's coming all throughout Scripture. When the children of Israel were in a dark situation in that last plague, and all firstborn sons would die, the only way they were going to have deliverances is if the blood of a spotless lamb was put on the doorpost and the death angel passed by. Why? Because he sees the blood. There's a scarlet thread that's all throughout the scripture. It's even in strange, obscure places because in Leviticus chapter 14, who in the world reads Leviticus, you all? But you better read Leviticus chapter 14 because in Leviticus chapter 14, it tells you how a leper is declared clean and the way a leper is declared king clean is the priest has two birds and he has to kill one of the birds in an open earthenware vessel over fresh water but he takes the live bird with the cedar wood and a scarlet yarn and the hyssop and he dips the live bird in the blood of the dead bird and then he sprinkles the blood of the dead bird on the leper and then the live bird that's covered in the blood is let go and he flies away. Oh, does anybody see? I know it was the blood. It's a scarlet thread that's all throughout the scripture. This morning, thank God that Rahab lets the scarlet thread hang out of the window. Deliverance, though, is going to require your trust. Because I want to close here with this last part of the story that we often don't look at. Because sure enough, in Joshua chapter 6, they are in the house and the children of Israel are coming. And yet God told Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city and all the men of war going into the city at once. And you're going to do it for six days. And the seven priests are going to have the trumpets uh, of horn before the ark. And on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. Wait a minute, God, what in the world are you doing? First of all, they got to march six days. And then on the seventh day, they got to march again uh, six more days, seven more times. Now, here's Rahab looking out the window because she's wondering when they're going to come. Because she's got a whole family in her house. And you know the family's complaining. You know how we look. You wouldn't want your family in your house. I mean, we're talking mom, dad, sisters, children, everybody. And, and, they, and they're going to trust her. But watch this now. They're in the house of a prostitute. The house where she has done her business. They're in an uncomfortable house, and they're in a house that's in the wall. Now, here's where God is interesting to me. You're bringing the people to deliver them. Why they got to walk around the city seven times? So I know Rahab is going, they're here, they're here. Yeah, I told y'all, told you so. You know how when God come through and you got people don't believe you? Yeah, I told, that's my God. Praise him, praise him. Wait a minute, what are they doing? They're walking around the city. So you know how you explain when God is late to you? You just say, well, well, well maybe God, maybe you start, you start thinking for God. Maybe he's strategizing. Okay, well, they're going to go one time. Then it's on. Wait a minute, two times. Three times. Four. I told you, girl, and I know Rahab is probably getting tired. Lord have mercy. <laughs> then the last day come, and they don't just walk around uh, uh, one time on the last day, they walk around seven times. She said, they confused. 
Why is God putting his people in vulnerability? Let me tell you why. Because God often uses vulnerability for deliverance. And let me just tell you this as well. It doesn't make sense that he would cause them to be vulnerable. Does it make sense that his only begotten son would have nails in his hands, nails in his feet? It doesn't make sense because if you're the son of God, save yourself. Do something for us right now. But when God does deliverance, it requires trust. And they, Rahab, trust them. And the walls come down. Now, here's what's crazy. The walls come down, but everybody in Rahab's house is saved. Because, you know, when the walls start coming down, dad said, Let's go, let's go, let's go. No, we got to stay here because we got to stay in the house until they come and get us because salvation isn't dependent on us. It's dependent on them. Oh, it's a picture of our salvation. I know he has you in a dangerous place, but God says stay where I am. Destruction can go all around you, but I got this, you all. Yeah, he died on a cross, but I got this, you all. Three days later, he rises again from the dead so as we close remember I told you what I called well I got confused because I read in Hebrews that the author of Hebrews said by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So I thought, well, I'm like the author of Hebrews. I'm just using vernacular that we have uh, in some communities that call her. So I thought I was okay with calling her that. Then I thought I was okay when I read James, Jesus' half-brother, in James chapter 2, verse 24 and 26, where it says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was also not Rahab the prostitute. Justified by works when she received the message and sent them on another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from works dead. I thought I was okay. Rahab, again, is a model of faith, and she's a teacher of faith as well. But then, in closing, when I read Matthew chapter 1, and it's easy to miss the genealogies. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Wait a minute, you all. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I said, first of all, (laughs) it just says here, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Wait a minute. Boaz, that kinsman redeemer, his mom was Rahab. Maybe Boaz even got some of his redemption reality from his mom who had been redeemed. But, but here's the other thing that, that you got to understand that's, that's incredible here, you all, that prostitutes, if you were prostitutes, ain't no way you're going to get married because in Jewish culture, you wouldn't marry someone that had a reputation as a prostitute. Well, Rahab, evidently, when she went and made the Jewish people her people, somehow Rahab the prostitute, you all, Rahab the prostitute, she's no longer called Rahab the prostitute because in the genealogy, they don't call her Rahab the prostitute. So when I get to glory, Salmon is going to call me up. And he said, hey, wait a minute. Why are you doing calling my wife a hoe? She is not a hoe. She's my wife. They're gonna, and Rahab, if I roll up on her, she's going to say, why you call me that, Brother White? 
My name is Rahab. I am a mother. And because I'm a mother, Jesus was born because of me. That's right. My name is Rahab. Why isn't she called Rahab the prostitute in the genealogy of Jesus? Well, when you're in Jesus, your identity changes. If any man be in Christ, a new creature, old things passed away, new things have come. It's not too late. And the crimson cord still goes on. And in a few moments, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to do communion. But all I'm here to tell you, Epiphany, it's not too late. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully, the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.